Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and welcome to this episode of Ranks FC in association with New Balance. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. Joining me is our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And of course, the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. Hello, mate. How are we doing? Oh, very well. Very well. I feel very well rested, finally. It's taken a couple of days, hasn't it? Because our trip to Porto was... Uh... Ooh, whirlwind oh wow the phrase yeah the particularly whirlwind. for dean jones there who spent what 18 hours mm, yeah in portugal exactly. yeah. it was um, it, that really wasn't in and out then you were um, really was, you absolutely yeah. dipped in to it was the a country, proper yeah. it was a proper yeah day in day in day out day job at the football wasn't it like um <laughs> flew out what time did i fly out 9am i think i left london right you arrived about midday didn't you i got yeah i met you guys at midday and then yeah, I flew home at 6 a.m. on the Saturday morning um, with little to no sleep, let's say. Um, mm. It was fun. It was fun. Like You've got to do these things occasionally. I'm, I'm a proper adult now, so it doesn't happen very often. But it, it was nice to remember what that, that feeling's like. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, just to give you the context, this episode is going to be all about the title race in the Primeira, the game we watched between Porto and Sporting and all the things we kind of learned and understood whilst we were on our travels. Um, so we're going to kind of take you into it. But before we get into our main ranking of, of the bits and bobs that we, we looked at and we found interesting, we're going to show you through what exactly the experience was like. We took some voice notes on our microphones from the inside of the Jagao about half half time uh, and then also on the full time whistle so here's a little supercut of our thoughts inside the stadium we should get you a little feel of the atmosphere as well we're in the 40th minute this game has been mad Porto are 2-0 down they've come back they just scored through Vieira there's a fight on the edge of the box right now this place is on fire right now Jack the game seemed dead, didn't it, when it went 2-0 and it was so important to come back quite quick. Sporting had two, three attacks, two goals. It was really impressive, to be fair to them. Absolute credit where it's due. Very, very effective. Goal has set the place on fire. Porto have been all over them and now everyone has gone mad. There's been a fight. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The atmosphere in here is cooking. Yeah, do you know what? Like, obviously, we didn't want Sporting to score tonight, but the fact that they were 2-0 up, it's added so much to the occasion. I would describe Sporting as playing like Burnley. They get the ball wide, they whip it in, and they hope someone knocks it down. And one time someone's knocks it in the net, and the other time someone's headed it down, and the guys knocks it in the net. Um, in fact, it's 2-1 though. What are you thinking? Can they turn this around? Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, look, the thing is that Sporting have put exactly where they want them in some ways, right? They can just sit in and play on the counter. Peps just literally knocked someone over as he was trying to shepherd the ball out for a corner. And, uh, and being booked for 
Well, basically, he's, I think he's either elbowed him in the face or it's not a foul. So it's either a red or nothing for me, and instead he's been booked, which is probably exactly where this game is at. Like, you can barely see the far corner. It's that smoky in here. Yeah. Um, but it's chaos. It's literally bouncing. Everyone is bouncing right now. It's quality. Anyway, we're approaching half-time. I presume it's going to be 2-1 at half-time. Let's see how this goes. Can't wait. Right, it's absolutely vociferous in here, so there's absolutely no chance you can hear this, but we're trying our very, very best. Full-time, two-all. Um, Sebi Coates got sent off about five minutes into the restart, and Sporting did a really good job of basically killing the game and spending most of the time on the floor for the next 40 minutes. Then Porter got an equaliser, and then there was 10 minutes of absolute chaos. Um, after the game, Dean, there's been a fight. I think we've had five red cards. This has been unbelievable. And also, bear in mind, we're 10 minutes after full-time whistle now. Nobody has left the stadium. It's still absolutely rammed to the rafters in the Dragal. I have never been to a football match like this in my life. Like, the goalkeeper or someone who's standing in the centre circle right now with his head in his hands, he's got no idea how many of his players have been sent off. That's why. Um, there's been at least five red cards in this game. There's been five red cards. Um, you can hear the whistles now, the sporting players. The feeling between these two clubs is pretty much bordering on hate. But look, it was a massive fixture and it's just boiled over. Just listen. Honestly, incredible noise there. And what you're hearing there is the crowd rallying behind their team. And a couple of minutes ago, what we saw was the sporting players taken down the tunnel and separated, literally separated from the Porto players. It took them about 10 minutes to manage to do it. They put the Porto players in the centre circle. They took the sporting players down the tunnel. The Porto players got into a nice circular huddle and started bopping up and down. It revved up the crowd. The announcer got involved. It's been absolutely incredible. This whole 90 minutes has been charged. It's been absolutely ridiculous. If Dean says he's never seen anything like it, well, then nothing like this has ever happened because Dean's been to every game in history since 1900. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, it, it genuinely was. And, like, everything from the fact, you know, Sporting would tune you up in total command of the game. You never felt that was going to be the end of it at all. And to turn it around from there, come back into the game, have chances to win it at the end. You can hear the whistles that are aimed at the officials. Um, mate, this is what it means. And like, look, Portuguese football is obviously not talked about anywhere near as much as some of the other clubs, uh, the other leagues in Europe. But trust me, the feeling and the passion in this stadium is every bit as intense as the Premier League, as the Bundesliga, as Serie A, as La Liga. It's unbelievable. Um, these guys care, and it's been amazing. It's been such a good experience. Um, it's a shame Porto couldn't get over the line, to be honest. That's what we wanted to see tonight. We wanted to see basically a league title clinch. But 
it kind of has been in a way because they've shown that resilience that's needed and they've shown that this is a team that is capable of winning the title. It's not the first time that Porto have scored a very late goal to either well, secure a win or secure a draw and it is that mental resilience that Porto have that means that yeah, we, the way we look at it right now, it probably means that they're going to go ahead and secure the title. The fact that they didn't lose tonight after going 2-0 down is, well, absolutely exceptional and just kind of speaks to the advantage they have in this title race. Commiserations to Sporting, I guess, a little bit, just because they started so strong. They scored, well, two goals and two shots. They actually managed the game in the second half brilliantly. Given that they were down to 10 men from, like, the 48th minute, they did an amazing job of ruining everything. This place was furious about it, and, and rightly so. They did an incredible job of disrupting the flow and the rhythm. So well done to them. But Porto got their goal in the end, Meditaremi with a lovely header. Yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? I've, we've all been at games where the opposition have been time-wasting, and it's the most infuriating thing in the entire world. But when they do a really good job of it, at some points it's an art form, right? And as Sam turned to me at one point and said I've learned something about time wasting tonight which I never knew before which is important right the poor team are coming around we're going to give them the applause they deserve right well welcome back to the studio um it's a little bit quieter here would be my <laughs> takeaway on uh, as a general kind of point um that is the end of our first section after the break we're going to be walking through five things we learned on our travels and talking a bit about the portuguese title race in general we've also got a competition for you we're going to be revealing the details of that a little bit later in the show don't go anywhere <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC. And this would be the point, Sam, where I normally say, oh, it's over to you for the main ranking. I suppose this isn't quite a ranking of sorts. Um, there are el different elements to it in the way that a ranking normally would, but they're not quite ordered, perhaps, as we normally would. I mean, they're ordered, uh, but they're ordered more chronologically um, because we're going to start with uh, our experiences of the, of the city of Porto, move in through the stadium and the game itself, and then ask a couple of questions coming up the backside of it. So, um yeah, it's still a ranking of sorts, I guess, um, but it's certainly five things uh, and it's certainly segmented in the way we usually would. Okay, do you want to get us going and we'll uh, we'll get through it? Yeah, I mean, look, in the spirit of things we learned and, and, and discoveries that we made on our on our travels, the, the first place to start has to be the city of Porto. Uh, for me in particular and for Dean as well, neither of us had ever, have ever been to Porto and our first point of call here is to say that this city is genuinely stunning. Uh, what a place. What a wonderful place it is. And first thing to note is that it was the weather was really good. Um, 18 degrees. We kept apologizing degrees. for it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it was like 18, 19 degrees, um, uh, which is about 65 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's not booming hot or anything like that, but it is early February. There was not a single cloud in the sky. It was blue skies. The people of Porto were very shocked by this. They kept saying, guys, it's not usually like this. It's usually raining. Everybody that we stumbled into, anyone that worked in any restaurant or cafe that we went to, all said, oh, the weather is so strange. It's so strange. They're all noting and they were, oh, as you say, Jack, almost apologizing for it. It was it was a case of, are you kidding me? We haven't seen the sun for three months. We live in England, <laughs> right? We're loving this. This is amazing. But uh, it meant that we could walk down to the river, uh, grab a coffee or a beer and enjoy the weather and enjoy the, enjoy, enjoy the water and Later, we managed to find a very specialist spot for uh, the famous Francesinha, uh, which apparently you, you know, it's not just a Portuguese meal. It's uh, very much a Porto meal. It's very difficult to find outside of the city itself. 
for those that don't know, it's basically like a ham, sausage and steak toasty covered in melted cheese, egg on top, swimming in this um, odd sauce. It's like a beery tomato kind of sauce. Yeah. And then you surround it by chips like it's trapped in there. And it's honestly the size of about three meals. Um, but it's the it's the Porto standard, and I thought it was fantastic. Jack Absolutely had no problem fantastic. finishing his, did he? Nah, no, no, no not at all. He's Every been a Porto before; he knew what was coming. <laughs> I didn't eat all day in, in the build-up. <laughs> you were silly enough to have uh, breakfast. We didn't. We didn't know that it was three meals in one. No, you know, it was a massive, but it was lovely. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, same. Jack, did you say that was commonly known as a snack in Porto? I'm sure you said oh, I that did. when we were out there. Well, I texted Lucinia to ask her, to basically be like, oh, we had a Francisinha for dinner. And she was like, isn't that a snack? And I was like, no. No, I mean, if that's <laughs> a snack, then what's a meal? Um, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's very hilly. So maybe people just really need to continually build up their Yeah, you should their probably calories. warn people of that. If you're ever going to Porto, be it's prepared. It's got a lot of hills. Be prepared, yeah. Mm. Don't take your 90-year-old mm. grandpa. Um, no. You won't enjoy it, but everyone else will. Uh, it, do, do take your walking sticks, yeah. one on each hand, the poles. Need the ski yeah, It's poles, nice when you're man. going downhill, isn't it? Oh, brilliant when it's downhill. <laughs> you really appreciate <laughs> the downhills. Yeah, exactly. You, you get up and down those slopes, but yeah. but it really does make it easier. We're like, lads, it's fine. On the way home, uh, you know, from uh, going out for a drink after the game, we're like, it's okay. It's all downhill on the way yeah. back to the flat. So that's the uh, yeah. that's the bonuses you get. Yeah, very cool city, though. I mean, look, Portugal is one of my favourite european countries anyway um i only been to lisbon though so um had to live up to that i think it did it, it, it compared very very well um obviously i was only there for what did we say 18 hours so there's mm. <laughs> only so much i could take in in 18 hours but i think we gave it a fair crack we did we yeah, we, think we so. racked up the steps indeed we very much did i mean also it's quite nice that dean's taken us on naturally a natural segue to a, a, a lisbon versus porto line because it, it takes us into the game it does, yeah. So let's get to the actual football element, shall we? And uh, at around 4pm, we were able to pop over to the Dragao Porto Stadium and sort of pop in and, and basically get some pre-match filming and kind of scene setting done, which is uh, very kind of Porto to allow us in to do that. And that was about four and a bit hours before kickoff. So it was obviously very calm at the time, almost completely empty, but all the TV cameras and crews are all setting up for the big occasion. The sun is still beaming at this point, really beaming. And it's our first view and experience stepping in at ground level pitch side level of the stadium and i mean you've all heard that the drag hour is a fantastic place and it it really is it's fifty thousand seats it's absolutely massive up two sides and then later on of course when it started to fill up and just before kickoff when we managed to get inside there when everyone else was in there too the noise levels are incredible i was warned about this you know even by by some of our listeners and specifically one of our patrons jose who's actually He's actually a Benfica family said, look, out of respect, I have to admit that this is the best atmosphere in Portugal. This is the most hostile crowd in Portugal. It's the loudest stadium you will find. And it is really, really impressive. And everything he said was totally true because as you heard from the voice clips, <laughs> certainly some background noise there. And it was a wonderful occasion and a wonderful place really was. I mean, that's a bucket list stadium and we've been very lucky to tick it off. What the thing with the, the voice clips is that I'm really glad we managed to get them into the podcast because we were recording and going, there's absolutely no way 
was like, I can't hear what Dean's saying next to me. Um, never mind what questions he's asking me. Uh, mm. They were like, there's no way this will get into, into the episode because it's just too noisy. Mm. Thankfully, the microphone is an absolute little gem yeah. um, and, and does pick up things that are closer to it louder. And we got away with it, but it didn't feel like any of it was usable, which probably gives you an idea of how loud it was within the Dragao. And we weren't in the, you know, in the ultra section. We were nicely at halfway, a beautiful view of the game, beautiful mm. view of the pitch. We were, you know, quite sort of removed, I suppose, from, from the true kind of base of the noise. But the whole place was just going off for the entire 90 minutes, it felt like. Yeah, New Balance properly sorted us out there. But um, what they also sorted us out with was to experience the Ultras view before the game, didn't they? So we went in, obviously we could have pitch side access and we, and we went into where the Ultras seats are, even though there aren't actually many seats left, um, because the way that the <laughs> Ultras behave and the way that they act during match day is that they are up on their feet, they're on their seats and they're standing on a wall as well, right at the front. Like, they cling onto a fence. It's got a huge flag across the front. And obviously, I've seen this before at many football stadiums. I've never actually tried standing there. And we stood up there to take a picture, didn't we? And uh, we were clinging onto this fence. I'm not sure I could do that for more than like five minutes, lads, watching a game of football. Like, if if there are fans that literally watch every game like that, I'm not sure how they're doing it. I really mm-hmm. don't. Like, my legs the, car, the calves, it's the roots, calves yeah. must be absolutely unbelievable. Look, all those hills and then standing on that for the entire They have the fittest fan base in Europe, the Forso yeah, fans, if, they, if they're a, putting up with all this every week. There's a bunch of people walking around Porto with Jack Grealish calves, just like thousands of them. <laughs> um, and we now know why. We now understand. Um, yeah. But yeah, absolutely amazing. And like we saw it firsthand, the, the, the two sides of, of this coin and, and what the crowd can give you. It can roar your team onwards when they need a bit of a shot in the arm. And we certainly saw that. And also, they can derail an opposing team's rhythm and plan by making it so deafeningly loud that they can't even hear each other speak from five yards away. And we saw both sides of that as Porto did, in fact, go 2-0 down and had to roar back and, and secure a draw. And, you know, we saw we saw the momentum gathering, we saw the cheering on, and we also saw the derision, the, the der- derisive whistling as Sporting tried to... Uh, disrupt the game and try to hang on. It was it was quite some experience. Yeah, I mean, the sporting fans deserve a mention here too because they were up in the top tier along the side of the pitch opposite to where we were. Um, it was a good, at least, what, 2,000 or so? Yeah, um, it felt like that. Yeah, yeah and they made yeah, a good noise. They made a lot of noise up there. They were having a good time too and they've really, really helped bring this atmosphere, you know, made it even more complete and Obviously, they were very much enjoying themselves at 2-0. All the, all the flares and bangers were going off. Um, such a good atmosphere. I was really enjoying myself. But obviously, at that point, was like, we would like to see some Porto goals here. Come on, let's turn it around. And like you say, <laughs> like because of that atmosphere, because the Porto fans refused to give in, it really seemed to help the team turn it around. Yeah, yeah and that, that goal just before half-time was so important for, for all of it because it had gone, you know, it was. it felt like... Sporting had what two, three attacks, um, and they were two in a lot. And it felt like, you know, how do you how do you even deal with that when you're so in control of a game and you find yourself two 0 down? Um, the goal was massive, and it did just set the place alight again. And it really, you know, I think that's really important for both the atmosphere and for the game as a whole to get that goal before halftime. I know it's cliche. I know it's like a, one of those things you say, but it does feel like, you know, ultimately we we look at it and think oh, that was a crucial juncture. It was, yeah. And the, the name of the goal scorer is actually, we're moving on to a, a, our third thing here. The third thing we learned is that Fabio Vieira, the man who scored that that goal that started the comeback, is an absolutely unbelievable footballer. Now, we were sort of roughly aware of this. I think I, Jack had seen the most of him, but only ever on TV. 
Um, I'd seen him a, a little bit here and there, but actually really only ever focused him, I think, for the Portugal under-21s rather than with, with Porto. Don't think Dean had ever seen Fabio Vieira play. Nope. So there was uh, varying degrees of knowledge heading into it. But I think we all sat there, watched him and went, oh my goodness me, Fabio Vieira. I think we need a new um, truth moniker, Jack. I think he. I think uh, Fabio, Fabio Vieira has become has become the truth. He is an unbelievable footballer and he scored the goal just before half-time. He's a primarily left-footed player, Fabio Vieira, but scored the goal with his right from outside the box, wrapped it round and I think it just nicked the post as it went in. Unstoppable shot, really, off his weak foot. He also swung in the cross for Mehdi Taremi to equalise in the 82nd minute or so with his left foot after he'd scampered down the left side. But really, I mean, he is a, a creative and controlling midfielder. And he's got that undispossessable quality that you see in quite a lot of Portuguese technical midfielders nowadays. Um, you see it with Vitinha, his his teammate, who's also very good, but didn't get to. I think he got he got subbed off quite early in the second half here, so I didn't want to focus on him too much. But we like the fact that Vitinha can do that. Obviously, Bernardo Silva has come through and has those qualities too. And Fabio Vieira has he just has that little something. He's got that little skip at his step. He's got great technical quality. You cannot get the ball off him. There's a fire in him too, like a veracity. Like he will he will hunt you down and he'll he'll commit a cynical foul if he needs to. He understands that other side of the game. And this season he has provided eleven assists in the league and he's not even hit the 1000 minute mark yet it's absolutely remarkable only two goals i've scored his second one here the two goals and 12 assists in uh must be about 850 minutes now not bad going and he is someone that i came away from the stadium thinking okay then absolute yeah. star yeah it did feel like that i mean look he's still kind of relatively young in terms of match experience terms he broke through at the end the end of that kind of 2020 season um start of 2021 um where he made a couple of uh, a couple of appearances mostly off the bench um he, he still only played you know 61 games um for Porto which which still feels young he's 21 years old you know you, we're looking at players coming through young now and uh, you know 21 61 games feels like a relatively sensible small amount it's not that um, much 2000 minutes pretty much of of senior football doesn't feel all that much but it's really starting to make some waves. I think he's got about 20 goal contributions in, in, in that time. Um, most of them this season, as you say, 13 of them um, across the course, 14 of them, I think, across the course of, of this season um, because he got an assist in the Champions League, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but when you, when you take that and you, and you look at what kind of he's doing, um, it really does seem to be blossoming into a, a serious talent here. And I think that's a, he's at a nice age to be doing that. You know, when you see an 18 year old come through and you see someone a little bit younger come through, you are thinking, okay, how sustainable is this? When they're doing it at 21, you're like, okay, this is probably you starting to come into the kind of real prime of your youth, if mm. you will, not the prime of your career, but the prime of, of that kind of young period does feel like he's kind of ready to nail down. And I think he has now nailed down a starting role for this Porto side and, and, and kind of play a starring role to, from here towards the end of the season. There are a lot of scouts at this game, lads. Um, Sevilla, Villarreal, Celta Vigo, Atletico Madrid, Juventus, Fiorentina, Atalanta, Nice, Monaco, Montpellier, Dortmund, RB Leipzig and Tottenham. And Tottenham one's really interesting because obviously, um, you know, they've missed out on Bruno Fernandes. They, they tried to sign him. They tried to sign Luis Diaz. They didn't sign him either. So who's the next one that they got their eye on? Now, a lot of the talk um, on the back of this game is that they were probably looking at Fabio Vieira. Um, they have been linked with Palinha as well. Um, 
so that's that's interesting. Obviously, he um, he started the game on the bench, didn't he? So um, wouldn't have seen too much from him. But yeah, yeah Fabio red, yeah, yeah. So that went well. Um, to be fair, he got sent off after the full time whistle. <laughs> yeah. Give him some credit. The ninety yeah, ninth so... minute red after the final whistle. Yeah, you can still take something from uh, studying players' character and decision making, I guess. But um, look, Fabio Vieira undoubtedly for all of those clubs that turned up to watch the game would have stood out, wouldn't he? A million miles. And, you know, for Porto, it, this is all part of it, isn't it? It's that you you find these gems, you try to keep hold of them as long as you can. And this is how they, they are constantly making a mark on the European game. Um, you know, this is this league is consistently one of the most competitive in Europe. Um, all of these top clubs are, are always up there and always managing to have a crack in European competition as well. But, but they're producing these players... And finding these players year on year, and then the big clubs. Well, big clubs a bit harsh, but um, the top, the, top, the champ- elite. yeah, the yeah. elite, yeah, you know, the, the clubs that have a more finance in, you know, the Premier League's big guns, if you like. Then they start circling, don't they? And that's when Porto like go away, leave us alone <laughs> for a bit because <laughs> they just need to settle with these guys. And Fabio Vieira is one of those that you hope can stay there for a while and just find his way in the game because, like, he's clearly found a good fit for him here. Liverpool have been linked as well. Liverpool um, linked, yeah. Days gone past. and I, I think Man United were linked to too. Linked. United seems to be linked to everyone. Yeah, true. These days. But, um, Don't get there. It, it, it does feel like, you know, he, he could probably do with another season really fundamentally being a starter before he thinks about going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But absolutely outrageous talent. And, and I think, you know, we came into the game going, well, he's got 10 assists in, you know, quite a small amount of minutes across the course of this year. Um that's pretty good going, and and now you can clearly see why. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, look, this is this episode is about Porto and our trip to Porto, but there was another team on the pitch as well, and I think we just need to talk a little bit about Sporting as well and their contributions because they did surge into a, a two goal lead away from home at the Dragao in second a second goal in particular. Yeah, in Delicious. a critical game, and the second second goal was brilliant. They they did it did feel like they attacked twice and um and scored twice and they were absolutely ruthless and you give them that you credit for that i also have to give them credit for and i mean this um uh, i mean this uh, i say this without spite um genuine mastery of of the dark arts and this is game management and this is an absolute essential ingredient to any top team managing uh, a, a crucial game uh, on on the big stage and, and what sporting did once they were out into a two goal lead is obviously they continued to defend deep and bring players back into the box and defend quite narrow, allow Porto the wide spaces and, and say, go on and cross it in, cross it in because we've got three big booming centre-halves in there to, to head it all away. And, and Sporting's captain, Sebastian Cuartes, is this is like his absolute dream scenario. He's he's Uruguayan. He's like, he takes after Diego Godin. This is exactly what he wants to do. This is the perfect style of football for him. So Porto were asked some questions, you know, how can you break us down in different ways and what can you conjure? And obviously, Fabio Vieira was the one that came up with those answers. But interspersed was a lot of fouling, a lot of cynical stuff, a lot of crowding the ref, and just an absolute masterclass of time-wasting from Cuartes himself. Once he'd been sent off early in the second half, he took just over two full minutes to leave the pitch. Now, I would say that's an understatement. <laughs> I timed it. Um, it's, I timed it. You were saying five minutes. I was like, it's not been five. Um, it's, like two, it's like two minutes and 10 seconds. And it's like, it, 
the fact that he managed to get away with that is incredible. He walked step by step. You know how toddlers walk when they're learning to walk? <laughs> and do. they're a bit wobbly, bit wobbly. Indeed One step, does. next step, next step. You know, take it slow. He, he was. It's like that was happening. And then, just as he was about 10 yards away from the touchline, where the managers stand, he bent down and just adjusted his socks a little bit. And you know what? That was the loudest noise we heard in the drag hour that night. And it was not a positive one. It was such yeah. a wind up. Wasn't it? He, <laughs> he, he, was he took his shin pads out. Yeah, it was such a wind up. But deafening. Oh I, my goodness! I've, I've actually got quite a bit of time for stuff like that. Like if that yeah. was my team and my player, I'd be all over it. You know, just just trying to waste time, trying to wind everyone up. Yeah, add to the as you say, it was the loudest the place was. Probably it was fervent, night. wasn't it? At that point, it was just absolutely like everywhere it was just full of fury yeah you know, they, you know there was yeah. at some some pointed out i think at one point that you know at the end of the first half one of the most, most funny things we saw happen was you know porter gave away a free kick kind of halfway through their own half it wasn't particularly dangerous position there was two one at this point the bloke in front just punched a wall it was like oh god <laughs> you know right okay you've just given away a free kick man it's, it's not it's not the 90th minute it's the 45th like it's too yeah. i've got There's a lot of video time. on my phone of that same person constantly with his head in his hand throughout that 90 minutes it is very it was funny tense. But, it was um, really tense it was, tense. It was being a fans about isn't it on sports, back to sporting here, like they, they did what they had to do, like trying to quell the atmosphere, trying to enrage the crowd, um, trying to bring themselves, trying to claw on and, and cling on. And also like just the context here is that sporting came into this incredibly, incredibly crucial tie without two really important players. First up, like their best player in Pedro Gonçalves, who was injured and he's their attacking 10. He's the one that makes them tick. He's well, he it was he and Luis Diaz battling it out for the title of you know best player in Portugal last month. We and, saw neither. Yeah, and then Pedro Porro, their starting right wing back, his former Manchester City, he's very very good, ex- extremely good player, and he was missing too. He was suspended. So when you take into consideration you know what Sporting were dealing with here, the the occasion, the caliber of the opposition, and the injuries and suspensions they were dealing with, they knew that they just had to get through this game however they could. And I think I learned a lot from them. And I have a lot of respect for um, for what they managed to pull off and, and just how much they managed to get to draw out of this crowd. It was quite quite remarkable. Yeah, I mean, look, we've, we've talked about Ruben Amorim before and, and what he brings to the table and that he's one of the best young coaches, you know, across the board in, in Europe right now. And he set his team up here, missing his two best players, as you say, and come out with a, you know, a point that they'll be very pleased with given the circumstances. The question, I suppose, is, you know, do you want to draw? You have to. But when, when Quartes gets sent off, you have to draw Porto into that kind of battle. You have to draw them into a game of attrition, into a frustrating game, try to wind them up. Um, and, and, and that's what they did to, to perfection. But, you know, Porto was six points clear at the top of the Primera before this game. They're still six points clear. That's what a point does. Um, and Sporting is starting to run out of games and they won't play them again. Um, you know, they've lost that kind of opportunity to to kind of claw it back in their own hands. Now, that's not to say that it can't be clawed back. Six points is still doable, I think. But you're yeah. relying on other people to do you a favour. But we're going to be talking a little bit more about the title race and what this result means for it with a special guest in a little moment. Which leaves us, Sam, with your last point in these five. Yeah, just looking forward a little bit here and, and just asking how, how Porto deal with, with what is it has to be stated is a big loss in January in, in Luis Diaz. Um, you know, Liverpool have, have signed him for 
40 million euros or so rising to 60 million euros or so. And that, that marks the calibre of the player. Um, his performances this season were absolutely exceptional. And it was in games like this, probably, that Luis Diaz probably shined the brightest because when you do get given uh, a low block to break down and a, a team who are trying to force you to cross it in and, and try to find answers, someone who will probably nutmeg one, then rainbow flick it over another and then volley it in from 20 yards is, is very, very useful. And you know, Porto are now coming to terms with life without Luis Diaz and they need to find those answers. Now, Fabio Vieira stepping up and taking the mantle is obviously part of it, but Porto also need new players in that position from the wide berth and they picked one up. They did. They did some business. Wenderson Galeno from Braga. Uh, Jack knows far more about this player than uh, than I do, so I'll hand it to him in a moment. But we saw Galeno step off the bench uh, for about 20 minutes or so and he's trying to find his feet and look, the switch from Braga to Porto. <laughs> he, look, you could be a fantastic player, but that is, that is going to be, um, it's going to take some getting used to, particularly in an atmosphere such as this. So it'd be very interesting to see how Galena gets on. He's the player that, that Porto have chosen to replace Luis Diaz for the rest of the season, at least. And he's the player that needs to provide a little bit of spark in moments like these. Um, Jack, is he the kind of guy that can do it? Yeah, I think so. Um, look, he's he's up there in terms of the players with the most assists in Europa League history. Um, he's in the top 10 with, with nine assists. I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, that he got so many of those in one season that he holds the record for assists in one season in the Europa League. Um, and he's been excellent for Braga. Now he came over to Porto, didn't really get a look in, left on loan and then left for Braga and has clearly earned a move back, which I think is, is quite impressive. Nice. And really, you know, it's, an, it's a nice little narrative that adds to it. He wasn't great. When he came on, um, he did feel a little bit at odds with what they were trying to do in, in, at times. But I think that will iron itself out pretty quickly. Um, and I do think that the Galeno is, uh, is a nice little addition here. Now, he's not Luis Diaz because very few players are. Um, but he is a different type of winger, a very, very creative footballer. Um, and one who likes to put chances on a plate for other people. And I think that that will serve Porto well uh, as they head into the kind of final straight of this campaign. I do think that you know, across the course of this, a player with, with his ability and his skill set on that left-hand side, drifting in. What we did see from Porto was a kind of strange formation to, to begin with, which had a lot of Mediterranean playing on the left wing, um, which I didn't like at all, frankly, uh, mostly because he got caught offside almost every time anyone played a ball over the top. Um, secondly, because you want Mediterranean in the positions where he goes and scores the equaliser from, which is glancing in a beautiful header inside the box. Um, you don't want him drifting out there. And I understand that Evan Nilsson's had a wonderful season, but it did feel a bit like Porto went 4-1-4-1 um, with Taremi wide, and it just didn't quite work. Um, and so I think that there is clearly a space here for Galeno to make his mark and, and to put his stamp down on this team. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's clear that the manager isn't quite ready for him to make that starting mark. And now he's obviously oh, only a big been in game the club as well, for man. numerous weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a massive, massive game. Um, but I think when he came on, you could see why Consi Sao doesn't quite trust him yet. Um, and, and why he doesn't quite, because it, it doesn't look like he's quite at one with the mechanics of this Porto team from where he is right now. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can see why, but I do think over the course of this season, we're going to see him start to play a big role towards the end. Can you imagine being like a new Porto player and stepping in off the bench for 20 minutes into, into that, that atmosphere, game. into that game? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I would feel so dizzy. 
I would feel dizzy and deaf and confused. I'd probably forget how to kick a ball. It would. It must have been so overwhelming. Honestly, I mean, can't emphasise enough just how overwhelming that atmosphere became at times, and the sights and the sounds, and you know, good or bad, or like whistling or cheering or jeering or whatever it was. It was just. It was at a time you couldn't hear each other speak, couldn't hear yourself think. I can't imagine what it was like on that pitch. And no wonder it boiled over in the end, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the ban and what happened towards the end. It did feel like tempers boiled over after what was, you know, an ultimately, I suppose, frustrating result for both sides in different ways, right? That That's it. And and it got to the end and everyone felt that they deserved more. And and, and that's often the kind of kindling for, for things to explode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lots of people would have seen the, the, the clips on social media of the of the, the coming together between the players at the end of the game. I mean, we were stood there kind of watching. Uh, we haven't been to a game in Europe for a couple of years now due to the pandemic. And this was our, our first dose of it. And it was um, it was a real reminder uh, of just how seriously they take it <laughs> over on the continent and how fiery it can be. Um, at the final whistle, there was, well, the, the last action was Pepe sort of throwing his head in where it hurts to try and head home a corner or a cross. And uh, there's a bit of a collision, then a little, a little kind of like com- bit of a bit of commotion broke out. There was um, a sporting coach stood next to the goal at one point. Do you remember that? He'd like, he'd run, he got sent off. He got sent off. He ran, he ran from the dugout around the pitch to start talking to the goalkeeper just before the final whistle. Definitely, definitely not allowed. No. Um, he got sent off. Then the commotion breaks out. There's about 20 people inside the goal net uh, in the in the immediate aftermath of the final whistle. I think at a certain point, there's probably 50, 60, maybe 70 people on the pitch, um, all arguing with each other, all having a word with one another. Like tension was extremely high because of the occasion. This was an absolutely momentous game in the title race, and it really did boil over. And there were four red cards after the final whistle, um, <laughs> adding to Quartes' red card uh, in about the 48th, 49th minute. So in total, um, we saw four goals, uh, but we saw we saw five reds, um, six if you count the one for the uh, for the sporting member of staff. Yeah, true, very true. Yeah, um, so it was um, it was one of those games in which you know, towards the end, as you say, I think everybody felt like they wanted or deserved a bit more, um, and it just it just goes to show how strong this rivalry is between. Portugal's top three clubs and roping in Benfica there. Any game between these three teams is high tension, very intense and can get a bit fiery. And we witnessed it firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, there was a nice moment that kind of followed all of that. You know, the Porto players and coaches and all were in the centre circle as the sporting players were walked off. But then they did a lap of honour. Um, and the noise and the atmosphere and the kind of support that they generated in that lap of honor dean was pretty spectacular considering they had just you know dropped points against a league rival with 10 men yeah i mean it felt like a win though didn't it because of the manner of it all and yeah. the, and everything else and the competitiveness and the fact that it is a, a rival um it, it was a big big moment in the season it still means that they're in complete control um, they'll be very confident that they can go on and, and finish off this job. And for us, it really can completed the whole journey we'd been through throughout the day, didn't it? Because um, we'd been learning throughout the day all about Porto and what it's like to be a Porto fan and the culture around it. And it was the perfect way to, to round off um, an amazing evening of football. As I said at the time, I, I don't know if I've been to a game like that ever before with that much drama in it. Um so yeah, I really, 
I really enjoyed the whole experience and to just see those scenes at the end, you know, just showed exactly what Porto means to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I think on the back of that, it's time for our competition. And we have, in association with New Balance, a signed Porto shirt to give away to one lucky winner. It's a belter um, as well, by the way. It's oh a belter of a yeah. shirt. It, you know, you know, you have signed shirts sometimes and you don't really kind of know who's who. Every single player, so obviously it's the blue and white stripes of a Porto shirt. Down the white stripes, there is signature after signature after signature after signature. And everyone has thankfully put their number next to their name in a nice little neat circle so you can tell exactly who everybody is. Yeah. Um, which makes this as good a signed shirt, I think, as I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it's an absolute belter of a shirt. Yeah. But and there's a bonus on it too, isn't there? Because it's got Luis Diaz on it. So let's have Luis Diaz on it. That that you know, this is a, a real collector's item, really. Yeah. This is a story yeah. of Porto's 21-22 season, and Luis Diaz was was a part of it. So I'm glad Absolutely. he's on there. Yeah. Very much so. So if you want to enter the competition, get over to our socials at Rank Squad on Twitter or at Rank.Squad on Instagram. There will be posts on both. You need to make sure you're following both us and New Balance Football on there um, and give the post a like and a retweet and we will make sure you're entered in the draw to win that Porter shirt. So that's at Rank Squad on Twitter and at Rank.Squad on Instagram. Right, we have a little interview for you next and we want to talk about the Portuguese title race in a little bit more general terms and so we've invited and so we've invited Marina Peixoto on to give us his insights on what's going down in Portugal today. I'm delighted to say that we are joined by football journalist and Portuguese football enthusiast Marino Peixoto. Marino thank you so much for joining us here on Ranks FC. Thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be here. Um, we've been chatting away about the game on Friday night and obviously I just want to kind of get your overall thoughts on what was an incredibly chaotic encounter. I think, yeah, chaotic is definitely the right word to describe it. Um, I think it was a great game of football to watch, especially as a neutral and especially as well, especially for people that don't know much about Portuguese football. Um, whether or not it was a good advertisement per se, given all the drama and the chaos towards the end, I'm not too sure. But I guess, like I said before, as well as neutrals, I guess you kind of want to see that it's an enthralling experience. And probably as you experienced in the stadium itself, it was a very hostile environment. Um, so, yeah, I think all in all, it kind of epitomised what the big games in Portugal are like nowadays or always have been, not just nowadays, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? And maybe the next question is that, is there a better atmosphere in the Portuguese game than what we just experienced? You know, two teams facing off in a top-of-the-table clash, you know, almost as good as it gets. And the the amount of uh, hostility and uh, and what was shown on both the pitch and in the stands, and I don't mean that in terms of it necessarily boiled over into into too much on in the stands or, or outside, but, you know, it felt like there was so much riding on it. There was so much passion in the game. And, and that is, I suppose, what you want to see, that you know, your team cares. Yeah, oh, massively. I mean, yeah, football in Portugal is essentially religion. Um, so I think you definitely get a very different atmosphere as to what you get in the Premier League, for instance. Obviously, the passion is still prevalent in the Premier League, but I think it's just a different type of hostility. I'm not sure why exactly. Um, as for the best atmospheres, I think every big game between the big three, to be honest, you're going to experience a really good atmosphere. Obviously, it depends on like how they're positioned in the league, of course. So as you said, this game on Friday was a huge, in regards to who's going to win the league, 
if Porto won, the league's basically over. If Sporting won, they're back in it. If they drew, we're, they're still As you potentially were. in it. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think any game, Porto Sporting, Porto Benfica, Benfica Sporting, they're all massive, massive games, and you'll get very similar atmospheres at all of them. Okay. I mean, Will Sporting, as you say, be looking at that as their last missed chance to catch Porto at the top. Obviously, they've played twice now. Both games have ended in draws. Porto mm-hmm. are the last unbeaten side in, you know, the top 14 leagues in Europe, I think it is. Yeah. Will they be looking at that and thinking, yes, it's still possible. Six points hard isn't the biggest gap in the world. But the way that, uh, that Porto are playing, it feels like a, a missed opportunity, even given the circumstances. I think... Yes and no, obviously. it was. I think Sporting did very well considering they got Cuatro sent off. I think it was in the 50th minute. Yeah. Um, and this Porto side this year is better than last year, for sure. Um, so I, I wouldn't say they'd view it as a loss per se. I, I still think they believe they're genuinely in it. If Porto slip up once or twice, then I think around this stage last season, actually, Sporting were like 10, 11 points clear. And then they, they drew a few games and then Porto were back in it. And the Sporting fans started panicking. Um, so I mean, all all it takes is two games for everything to turn around again, and then if Porto do start to slip up, the pressure will be on them, sort of thing. So I wouldn't say Sporting fans believe it's over just yet. It's a funny one, isn't it? Obviously, there was those couple of seasons a, a few years back that Porto reeled in Benfica from seven points behind, and I think the year yeah, after yeah. it flipped over and Benfica reeled in Porto. Um, yeah. So it, I mean, as you say, it's been done before, but I suppose the the kicker here is is that unbeaten run right which goes on and I, I suppose it goes to show quite how mentally strong this Porto side are and they feel that way under Conte Sal they feel like they're never beaten even at 2-0 down it, it very much felt like they were well in control of the game which is a strange position to be in yeah I think they've, they've always had that resilience about them but I think the difference with Porto this year is that they've actually well Conte Sal has injected some youth into the team which he's always been quite hesitant to do in the past, and he's been criticised for quite a lot in the Portuguese press for it. So the likes of Vitinha and Fabio Vieira, so they have that resilience, that defensive rigidness that makes them very hard to beat. But now they've got these flair players to to go do it at the other end. So yeah, they're, they're looking pretty formidable. I'm taking that onwards. I mean, there is obviously this league, but there's also Porto in the UEL. Now, I know that both the other Portuguese big three teams are in the Champions League, uh, but I think in this case, it maybe goes against them with the strength in depth there. But Porto feel like they have a real shot. And I mean, there is probably 12 teams that could win the Europa League this year. But it it doesn't feel like anyone's going to want to go to the Dragao and play Porto, especially in what we've just experienced. No, I don't think so at all. Um, They're playing Lazio, I think, right? They are, which is a massive game, right? But it feels relatively even. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Porto has the edge, but then I'll I'll be branded as being biased because I'm Portuguese. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I I think it all depends on what Conceição wants from the season. I don't know how highly he'll value the Europa League, even though for a Portuguese team being in any European competition is a big deal, uh, financially and otherwise. Um, but given that Sporting are still on their tails, I'm not too sure what will happen in the Europa League. Um, but I mean, I, I hope I hope they put all their all of their efforts into it because I would like to see them go far. And I think they could I think they could literally go toe to toe with anyone that's left in the Europa League, to be quite honest with you. I mean, Sporting have already knocked out Dortmund, so if Sporting can do that, then I wouldn't see why the likes of Porto can't beat Dortmund or Barcelona or anyone else that's left, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, lastly, and kind of just more general question, we've spent most of this episode talking about Porto, talking about Sporting, um, and it is a big three in, in Portugal and kind of has been for a long, long time. I mean, I remember but we still winning it back at the start of this turn of the century. But apart from that, it feels yeah, like it's it. been a three-way you know, race. And 
ultimately, Benfica are four points off Sporting and 10 off Porto. One, it feels like they're out of it, are they? And two, if so, why have they struggled so much this year? I mean, like, statistically, they're not out of it, obviously. Um, it all just depends on their morale. I think they have probably the best squad in Portugal. They've invested way more yeah. than Agreed. the other big two. Um, so I, th- I think it was just a, potentially a clash with Jorge Jesus. He's, he's got that reputation of kind of like a Mourinho-esque reputation, whereby he's very demanding. He's very public with his slating of whatever it is going on in the club. And then even further up in the club, their the president went, Dieta, and now Rui Kosh is in charge. And fans aren't particularly happy with him as well. So I think it's been a multitude of factors that have contributed to their downfall this season and last season. But I mean, like I said, they, they do have the players. Like their their squad is ridiculously talented. So I, I guess I can't put my finger on one particular thing that's that's caused it, to be honest with you, because they should be doing significantly better than they are. Yeah, it's just felt that way. And obviously, Darwin's taken over at the top of the scoring charts now that Luis Diaz isn't, isn't there anymore. And you're looking mm-hmm. at those kind of things going, oh, what's going on here? If you've got the top scorer, you tend to be in the mix. And they just feel like they haven't been. They feel a, a little bit shy. So I was wondering if there was one thing in particular that had, had ruled them out. But I, I take your point. This just feels like a, a myriad of factors surrounding the club that just has kind of edged things in terms of not being right for, for the course of this season. Well, I was going to say they're kind of like mirroring what sporting were prior to winning the league like having yeah. good players but things just like a multitude of factors not going their way as to why they're not achieving what they should be if that makes sense yeah absolutely 100 percent. it does in- indeed feel like that um marina thank you so much for coming on it's, it's been a real pleasure <laughs> of course man i'm always here pleasure to have been here well thank you so much to marino there for his insights after the break we've got a porto themed melon and gibberish stick with us Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is a little bit different from every other week because it wouldn't be normal for me to just pick a footballer after the episode that we've just had and suddenly talk about something completely different from the Premier League. I'm looking at you, Concert, for your silly antics. Um, but ultimately, I don't feel that, that that's worthy of this episode I wanted to pick something from the trip so I was racking my brain and thinking what was melanish from this trip and the melon of the week is a waitress from a restaurant <laughs> who well I have to admit she she had Jack absolutely rattled um I'd showed up on the Friday <laughs> turned up at midday and these two were sat in a very nice little restaurant um on on the front of the river um and they were they seemed very happy, apart from Jack just seemed not quite with it. He was he just had something on his mind. He's rattled. He was rattled. I mean I was absolutely in my own head. Mate, do you want to explain what happened? Well, I've been trying, you know, when you go to a new country and they speak their language, you try to get involved, right? You have to you have to try and and practice. And I think it's quite good manners to to not just speak English and assume everybody speaks English. Because I think that's, that's bad form. So I was trying to, you know, speak Portuguese. Now, my Portuguese is not by any stretch of the imagination particularly good. Um, I've been working on it. But I have a couple of stock phrases and my pronunciations tend to be relatively OK, as you might have noticed. I, I work quite hard on them. Lucy's obviously half, half Portuguese. So I ask her a lot for, for advice on how to pronounce things. And, and I try my very best. Um, so I tried to order a table uh, for Sam and I in this nice little bar on the restaurant. And um, the waiter sort of tapped me on the shoulder and went, good try. I like really sarcastically. And I was like, 
that's a bit rude right <laughs> this is a bit it, unnecessary it was very sarcastic <laughs> it was really sarcastic uh, and i went to my stock phrase which is um, basically means my girlfriend's portuguese and she went new girlfriend eh <laughs> and i was like oh right okay cool it's uh this is it's one of those yeah. yeah um i was just like i mean she's relatively that, yeah. new mate isn't she i mean what year did it's you only spot seven and a half years um but you know we're fine this is all good um but upon all of those kind of things then we sit down at this restaurant we order out a cider i love a cider in the sun delicious the cider comes it's got cinnamon stick in it <laughs> cinnamon stick it was a cinnamon stick in a cider like i asked for no ice i appreciate that some people put ice inside it. i will accept that i asked for it because i know that that's a kind of normal thing i will accept the fact that they put a little slice of apple in it because apple cider is made from apples a cinnamon stick i was like what's going on here like this isn't mold wine yeah. it's not hot <laughs> I, why, I was furious. Yeah, I was absolutely livid. Livid. Dean, Dean arrives just after all this, and Jack is just totally in his own head. Um, and Jack is, is his confidence is, is so far onto the floor that he actually Happens. asks for another cider a little bit later on. And um, he doesn't even say, like, oh, and sorry, can I not have the cinnamon stick? He's just, he's willing to accept anything. Honestly, they, they, they could have brought him anything in that glass, and he'd have gone, thanks. Thanks very much. Like that. Like that. And, I, and I said, I wouldn't have I, even said obrigado. I would literally would have said thanks because my Portuguese yeah. like, had been shot. So, so um, meek. So meek. And I was the one that just, just flagged the waitress and said, Sorry, can, can you just not put a cinnamon stick in this one, please? Because my friend is very distressed. Um, mm. And I'm just trying to, I, I should have found all of this really funny, but Jack was so. Um, was, was so well, it threatened to ruin our it. day, didn't it? It could have ruined the trip at this point. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, well, Jack nearly <laughs> booked a flight home. Well, run I very it, nearly yeah. did. Yeah. I was like, run it back. Thank goodness run he loves back. football. Anyone, everyone else in Porto was lovely. So um, everyone else was like, ah, oh, thank you for trying yeah. when I spoke. And I was like, oh, I like that. Respect. Mm. Well, there you yeah. go. Anyway, very melanish. Very melanish behavior. Right. <laughs> That is the gibberish alarm, Sam. And it's your time to shine. Yeah, Porto-themed gibberish. Uh, this is specifically based around the game of football we saw. I think we'll just call it three odd things that we saw. Because there are definitely a couple of moments here, or three in particular, that sort of had us scratching our heads or looking at each other uh, with our eyebrows raised. And there's certainly things that, that seemed a bit odd or maybe you wouldn't necessarily see in England. So again, a bit more of an experience for you. But we'll start with Pepe's yellow card in the 42nd minute. Now, Pepe, there's just been a corner swung in and you know how it is sometimes when the ball is cleared by the defenders and it's going out for another corner and then you try and shield the ball to make sure it goes out for another corner. Pepe does that. But in the kind of like Pepe style of shielding, he sort of like whacks someone in the face. Um, it's very easy to do. Now, that is a foul. And the referee acknowledged that because he gave Pepe a yellow card for flailing arm whacking someone in the head or the or the shoulder and then just gave the corner anyway he was like yeah well it was going to be a corner so obviously you still have the corner um but i just thought maybe that if you did foul someone like that while shielding the ball out of play the foul would supersede the corner but he did both he was like no no you get a yellow but you can still have the corner and i sat there like that's not the rule 
Not really, no. It's not real. That's not it. Yeah, we're all just not... very confused for a long time. Yeah. That was very, very strange. And other people were looking at us too, like, "Do you lads know the answer to this?" And we're like, "Nope." <laughs> We've got. We we're not holding a microphone, but we do not know the answers. We're English. We invented this game, and uh, I can tell you that that's not in the rules. Um, <laughs> yeah, Scots actually invented football. Mm, sure. Um, uh, anywho, next up, the PA system was used a- around the seventy-minute mark to start a crowd chant. Never seen this before. Don't know, genuinely don't know what the rules are around here. It might be that it's fine and the English are just too meek and too tame and too polite to really do this. But when Porto needed a bit of injection of noise from the crowd on the, one of the very rare lull moments, the guy gets on the PA and just starts going, la, 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 for the Porto fans to then start responding to. And the, uh, the, the place went up. And I was yeah. like, is that fine? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea you could do it was that. great. I loved it. Yeah, it was awesome. Very novel it. use of a PA system, but definitely didn't think you could do that. Definitely thought you could only use a PA system during a game to say that somebody's car is being towed or there's an emergency. It was an emergency. They needed an atmosphere immediately. They needed a goal. It was a massive <laughs> yeah. emergency. So we need you Huge right emergency. now. React. <laughs> but, yeah. And about 10 minutes later, Medi Taremi steps up and, and headed in the equaliser. So go. fair play, it did it. So it worked. It did, yeah. Right. So the weirdest thing I saw was the man who stepped up at the end of the first half and signalled the stoppage time. He signalled four minutes. Now, there have been a lot of stoppages in this half and the last two minutes of it at least ended with someone on the floor so whatever the number was before you're going to have to add a little bit more on and I think all the crowd knew that now obviously Porto were losing at the time so whatever number comes up it's not going to be enough but there was definitely going to be a case where they needed to add on a couple minutes or so and the man signals four minutes the stadium cannot believe it it starts whistling and jeering and again it erupts in noise and the stoppage the, the, the fourth official then takes the board down and adds another minute on and holds it back up again. He just changes it from four to five. He's like, oh, crowd didn't like that one. I'll add a minute on. <laughs> and then the crowd reacted a bit better to five. So they went, okay, cool. We got it. We nailed it. I was like, hang on a minute now. It's a minimum of four. So like, even if you put four up, just play five. I've never seen anybody just like, oh, sorry, my B, um, and readdressed it. <laughs> Change the number and hold it back up. And when everyone accepts that number, go, cool, I did it right. I'm a good better. Yeah, I I was very, very strange indeed. As a a three moments there where I just thought, this is different. The the officials didn't majorly have control of this one, did they? It did feel like quite a lot of decisions. We're just sort of all over the place for both sides, to be honest, at our points. But it it was funny. And just in terms of everything was just a bit all over the place and everyone had a good time. So, um, you know, you got to shout it out. Um, and with that, I think we're going to pull this episode to an end. Um, and all that's left for us to do, firstly, is to thank New Balance uh, mm. for providing us with the means and, and platform to do this trip um, and to experience such a wonderful game. Um, also, thank you to Marino for his insight. Remember to go and enter the competition to win that signed Porto shirt. You can go to our Twitter at Rank Squad or our Instagram at Rank.Squad. Um, and then these boys. Thank you very much to Dean Jones, the 18 hours in Porto specialist. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to our rank on Mr. Sam Ty. Cheers, mate. Loved every second of it. Even the bit where yeah. you were tapping me on the shoulder on the plane while I was trying to read and you were trying to show me <laughs> funny memes. Well, we've all got to show someone funny memes <laughs> at some point. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will be back, of course, next week. Take it easy, gang. Peace.